Welcome to The Confab. I'm Eric Felton. This is where the editors and writers of the Weekly Standard get together to talk about what's in the magazine, what's in the news, and whatever else may be on our minds. Fred Barnes is here. He's going to tell us all about Senator Chuck Grassley's Battle of the Blue Slips. And then Andy Ferguson is going to talk to us about Nazi nastiness at the New York Times. Try to say that five times fast. All that coming up on the Confab. We get the Confab rolling with Mr. Fred Barnes, executive editor of the Weekly Standard. Fred, welcome to the Confab. Thank you. Glad to be here. Now, you write in the magazine this week that um, Charles Grassley, senator from Iowa, is playing a critical role in the judicial revolution that's filling the federal courts with conservatives. Mm -hmm. Now, before we talk about Chuck Grassley, let's talk about this revolution. What, What is this revolution? It is uh, to fill all the vacancies uh, in the appeals courts in particular and on the Supreme Court, but they've already filled one vacancy there, the only one, uh, with uh, uh, Justice Gorsuch, uh, and uh, and make the courts uh, conservative. That's the overall objective, make them conservative. And there are, as it turns out, uh, many, many very talented, intellectual, uh, well-educated uh, younger conservatives uh, who are lawyers or law professors or judges in the lower courts who are available to take uh, these higher appointments. Now, are there more than uh, a more than usual number of slots that are vacant? Well, there are just more slots, period, uh, because some new ones have been were created during the Obama years. Uh, there are a lot that are just vacant. And then if a push comes to shove, you can get older judges to uh, retire to senior status and create vacancies. And Republicans are doing all of these things, and it's already having an effect, and they hope to have a much bigger impact. Now, where does Chuck Grassley fit into this revolution? Well, he's chairman of the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, and that's where all the judge, all the federal judges have to go through it and, and be reported out uh, so they can be voted on the Senate floor and confirm there. Uh, and if they don't get a hearing in the Senate Judiciary Committee, it's over for them. They're dead. Uh, they really have to have it. And one of the procedural niceties is that uh, if you are presenting a judge from a given state, the senators from that state turn in what are called blue slips to give their sort of blessing on that judicial nominee. Uh, What is a blue slip? Well, I don't think there's an actual slip, but it's just uh, getting the high sign from uh, the senators saying it's okay to go ahead with this nominee. Now they may vote against this person on the on the Senate floor if it if it gets there, but it does allow a hearing to happen, and uh, and that's a crucial step. D- depending on how you uh, interpret uh, the, the way blue slips uh, should handle or what they should mean, uh, Democrats say, well, you have to have both blue slips or that's it. Uh, and and Grassley is. Uh, made a critical decision here to, and, and saying that, look, this is not a rule. This is just a practice. We've had these blue slips, and there are exceptions. And and so he had a hearing uh, this week that included a nominee 
whose blue slips, uh, had, both of his blue slips that, that did not arrive. This was uh, a man named David Strass, a member of the Minnesota Supreme Court. He got the uh, blue slip from Amy Klobuchar, one senator, but the other senator, uh, the famous Al Franken. That moral I paragon. <laughs> Paragon of virtue, Al Franken. Well, he's showing how virtuous he is now by withholding his blue slip. Uh, And it was not honored uh, by Chuck Grassley. He said, look, the blue slips are not uh, – I'm not going to let blue slips be permitted to allow one senator uh, to block the nomination of an appeals court, uh, a federal judge, a potential federal judge. But one of the interesting things about your article in the Weekly Standard about this is the length to which Grassley goes, even if he's not going to allow a single senator to block a hearing, to try to get that senator on board Mm -hmm. anyway. It it, it hasn't been a sort of tough luck, I'm not going to pay any attention to you. Mm -hmm. He seems to go to great lengths to try to win over the senators of the opposite party. It's uh, it's quite an amazing feat that he's carrying out to do all this personally. Uh, I've never heard of a senator, uh, actually on any committee doing anything like this, but particularly on the Judiciary Committee, <laughs> making this huge effort, personal effort. Chuck Grassley alone, uh, going to see senators, writing them long notes, uh, giving them information, cornering them on the Senate floor, uh, phoning them uh, in order to get these uh, blue slips sent in. And, of course, the Democrats are not eager to. They don't want to be accused of of blocking uh, some senator from even uh, getting to a hearing in the Senate Judiciary Committee. So they they all, all seem to be lost or they can't find him that day or, they, or he can't set up a meeting with them or something. Uh, they, but he's persistent about it. Very, very persistent. And, and in a way, it's not something that is highly visible, but for all the talk of how broken Washington mm-hmm. is, this is a sort of rare example of collegial behavior. Mm-hmm. It is collegial behavior. The, uh, the, the collegiality among the Democrats is, is sometimes delayed, but, but most all of them, except for Al Franken, uh, uh, go along with this process. That moral paragon, yeah, that Al moral, Franken. Yes, that Al, <laughs> yeah, that Al Franklin. Got, not the other Al Franklin, but that one. Chuck Grassley didn't always receive such collegial behavior, no. especially from Harry Reid. Mm-hmm. Well, you remember uh, after Justice Scalia died in February of 2016, the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said, well, we're not going to uh, nominate, uh, we're not going to confirm a, va- uh, a replacement uh, for Scalia this year. We're going to leave that to the next president, uh, whoever it is. Uh, we'll let the people decide. Uh, and and Grassley followed up by saying, "Well, we're so we won't have any Judiciary Committee hearings on the subject either." Uh, Harry Reid and most Democrats uh, didn't like it, but Harry Reid went into high dudgeon, you know, and and saying, "This is a uh, uh, you've uh, uh, defaced the the uh, uh, statue of James Madison, and you've done all these terrible things, and you're breaking the Constitution, and and this is horrible, and you won't even go discuss this with President." Uh, Obama. And, I mean, he was really on a tear. Grassley was up for re-election mm-hmm. that year as well. You know, Grassley, I would have thought, since he usually gets about two-thirds of the vote, uh, he's very, very popular in Iowa, 
uh, would sort of forget about this. You know, I don't need to worry. I'm going to be reelected wisely. You know, I mean, Eric, you and I can uh, remember times of of uh, senators and House members and, and so on who thought, it's a breeze. You know, they love me. I can be reelected. <laughs> and then they lose. Uh, well, uh, Grassley, who goes home every weekend anyway, uh, was not taking any chances when his when his uh, uh, elect number got down to about 50 percent, uh, he he said he was extremely worried. He wound up winning with 60 percent, but uh, he said that was lower than he usually gets. But, you know, he didn't take anything for granted. So one of the things you quote Chuck Grassley as saying is that he's looking not at the next four years with the election, but the next 40. Well, what that means is... Uh, uh, if you look at the age of uh, some of these judges that they're appointing, they're in their 40s. And Eric, you can do your math as I can and see that that uh, some of these judges can just will be on the court for 30, 40 years. Uh, quite amazing. You don't uh, Republicans are not looking for some old duffers to come and be on the court for a few years before retiring or worse. And uh, they want. These smart young lawyers, lower court judges, uh, and that's who they're nominating. Uh, and one of them, uh, whose name is Amy Barrett, who had been a law professor at Notre Dame and, and now is on the federal appeals court uh, that covers Indiana. Uh, another blue slip victory. For... Another blue slip victory, but also she was immediately put on President Trump's a list of possible Supreme Court nominees, this list that he's going to pick from uh, if he gets another uh, vacancy. And uh, we'll see whether the blue slips come out again. <laughs> I want to find out, and I and, and I should have uh, found out, are they really blue? <laughs> Is there a piece of paper? Is there a <laughs> yeah. little slip of Are paper? they really slips? <laughs> yeah. Well, well That's when, my next you, story. when you find it out, come yeah. back and tell us at the confab. All right. Thanks so much, Fred Barnes, for joining us. You're welcome. Andy Ferguson, senior editor for the Weekly Standard. Welcome to the Confab. Thank you for having me, Eric. Thanks for joining us. And, uh, you know, outraged New York Times readers are demanding to know when the gray ladies started hanging out with Nazis. <laughs> That's right. Well, first first thing to establish is almost all faithful New York Times readers are outraged all the time about something. <laughs> that's that's just part of the but personality. But at least Nazis package. is something that it's worthwhile yes. to get up, upset about. Yeah, yeah, if you got to get upset about something, I think Nazis are at the top of the list. Uh, they ran, I guess um, over the weekend, last weekend, they ran a profile by one of their very gifted reporters named um, Richard Fawcett. And uh, he had gone to Ohio to find sort of a foot soldier in the alt-right army. You know, when it, not, not one of the leaders, but just somebody who's kind of into the whole thing and is committed to marches and that sort of stuff. And they found one, and um, he did a profile of him. But the thing is, he very artfully, I thought, made it kind of a straight profile of just what does this guy do all day? What is he? What are his hobbies? What are his in, his enthusiasms and so on? And uh, the story ran pretty straight, and 
that wasn't good enough for the Times readers. There were accusations that Nazis were being normalized. Yes, normalized is the big word nowadays. Everybody has to watch about normalizing Trump or normalizing some kind of right-wingery or uh, normalizing Nazis. And so they brought out the word norms and normalizing in all of the Twitter feeds and all of the, the comment sections of the Times, accusing the Times of, not, of insufficient indignation, I guess. But it suggests to me that there's a, a certain um, amnesia, cultural amnesia going on, because once upon a time, it was a powerful assessment of the evil of Nazism, that it was banal. Sure. And uh, so we had Hannah Arendt with the banality of evil, but also things like the sorrow and the pity, which is nobody's, you know, case for Nazism. Um, And a large part of the sorrow and the pity uh, documentary is devoted to a conversation with a German officer at his daughter's wedding. Mm -hmm. And, um, you you know, that's certainly normalizing in some respect, but it's harrowing and bone-chilling in the fact that you see somebody who is otherwise normal, otherwise going about the, the good stuff of life, who just happens to be a vicious, evil Nazi. Right. Right, and that's sort of what I got from the the um, from the piece, the profile in the Times. One of the big critics from a, I think the website's called Splinter, um, had a line. I didn't use it in my piece, but um, it, it was something along the lines of uh, Fawcett wanted to capture the banality of evil, but all he succeeded in doing was making evil seem banal. And I guess that's what passes for a great insight on the Splinter website, but the sentence makes no—it's a tautology, really. I mean, when you see that this is a guy who just sort of shops at Target and likes to eat at Panera Bread and Applebee's and, you know, had a nice little uh, wedding to to a a local girl and all all this sort of stuff, you know, it does remind you— how hideous, by contrast, how grotesque, by contrast, Nazism or fascist sympathies are from normal American life. And it's also a point worth remembering that, um, you know, just because somebody seems to be an okay person on some superficial level um, doesn't mean that they don't harbor some ill intent, or to put it another way, uh, monsters don't always present themselves as cartoon villains. Right, exactly. Well, that, that's exactly what the sorrow and sorrow in the pity was about. The other thing I think that that, that probably disappointed Times readers uh, was that uh, the the profile kind of showed that this guy in American culture is a freak. He's an anomaly. There really aren't that many of these guys running around. I mean, the 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 it's a it's a it's a matter of dogma among democrats now that that uh trump's presidency has kicked over a hornet's nest and revealed this awful um huge cloud of of uh anti-semites and and fascists proto-fascists and so on um but in fact this 
the party that this fellow um, belongs to, that's something called the Traditionalist some Party, Nationalist Party, um, it, you know, probably has a couple of hundred members. And that's in Which the piece, Which is a couple too. of hundred too many. Well, of course. But of course. still. But, you know, this is a really big country, and it's not like these guys, <laughs> you know, are, are about to seize power. But that kind of... Uh, paranoia seems built into everybody's politics these days. I mean, just as it was, I have to say, with right-wingers during the Clinton years and even more so, I think, under Obama, everybody had to kind of get themselves excited by thinking that things were much, much worse than they were. Andy Ferguson, senior editor of The Weekly Standard, thanks for joining us on The Confab. Always great to be on The Confab. That's it for this week's Confab. I'm Eric Felton. Catch you next time.